Chapter Forty Two of Izzy Popenjoy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Srigley, Charlottesville, Virginia, USA. Is He Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope? Chapter Forty Two. Not Go. The dean had a great deal to think of as he walked home, a little too late for his daughter's usual dinner hour. What should he tell her? And what should he do as to communicating or not communicating tidings of the day's work to Lord George? Of course, everybody must know what had been done sooner or later. He would have had no objection to that, providing the truth could be told accurately, except as to the mention of his daughter's name in the same sentence with that abominable word. But the word would surely be known, and the facts would not be told with accuracy unless he told them himself. His only, but his fully sufficient defense, was in the word. But who would know the tone? Who would understand the look of the man's eye, and the smile on his mouth? Who could be made to conceive, as the dean himself had conceived, the aggravated injury of the premeditated slander? He would certainly write and tell Lord George everything. But to his daughter he thought that he would tell as little as possible. Might God in his mercy save her ears, her sacred feelings, her pure heart, from the wound of that word? He felt that she was dearer to him than ever she had been, that he would give up deanery and everything if he could save her by doing so. But he felt that if she were to be sacrificed in the contest, he would give up deanery and everything in avenging her. But something must be told to her. He, at any rate, must remain in town, and it would be very desirable that she should stay with him. If she went alone, she would at once be taken to Cross Hall, and he could understand that the recent occurrence would not add to the serenity of her life there. The name that had been applied to her, together with the late folly of which her husband had been guilty, would give those manor-cross dragons, as the dean was apt in his own thoughts to call the ladies germain, a tremendous hold over her. And should she be once at Cross Hall, he would hardly be able to get her back to the deanery. He hurried up to dress as soon as he reached the house, with a word of apology as to being late, and then found her in the drawing-room. "'Papa,' she said, "'I do like Mrs. Montacute Jones.' So do I, my dear, because she is good-humoured. But she is so good-natured also. She has been here again to-day, and wants me and George to go down to Scotland in August. I should so like it. What will George say? Of course he won't go, and of course I shan't, but that doesn't make it the less good-natured. She wishes all her set to think that what happened the other night doesn't mean anything. I'm afraid he won't consent. I know he won't. He wouldn't know what to do with himself. He hates a house full of people. And now tell me what the Marquis said. But dinner was announced, and the dean was not forced to answer this question immediately. Now, papa, she said again, as soon as the coffee was brought and the servant was gone, do tell me what my most noble brother-in-law wanted to say to you. That he certainly would not tell. "'Your brother-in-law, my dear, behaved about as badly as a man could behave.' "'Oh, dear, I'm so sorry.' "'We have to be sorry, both of us. 
and your husband will be sorry. He was so serious that she hardly knew how to speak to him. I cannot tell you everything, but he insulted me, and I was forced to strike him. Strike him? Oh, papa! Bear with me, Mary, in all things I think well of you, and do you try to think well of me. Dear papa, I will, I do, I always did. Anything he might have said of myself I could have borne. He could have applied no epithet to me which I think could even have ruffled me, but he spoke evil of you. While he was sitting there he made up his mind that he would tell her as much as that, though he had before almost resolved that he would not speak to her of herself. But she must hear something of the truth, and better that she should hear it from his than from other lips. She turned very pale, but did not immediately make any reply. Then I was full of wrath, he continued. I did not even attempt to control myself, but I took him by the throat and flung him violently to the ground. He fell upon the grate, and it may be that he has been hurt. Had the fall killed him, he would have deserved it. He had courage to wound a father in his tenderest part only because that father was a clergyman. His belief in a black coat will, I think, be a little weakened by what occurred to-day. "'What will be done?' she asked, whispering. "'Heaven only knows, but I can't go out of town to-morrow. I shall write to George to-night and tell him everything that has occurred, and shall beg that you may be allowed to stay with me for the few days that will be necessary.' "'Of course I will not leave you.' "'It is not that, but I do not want you to go to Cross Hall quite at present. If you went without me, they would not let you come to the deanery. Of course there will be a great commotion at Cross Hall. Of course they will condemn me. Many will condemn me, as it will be impossible to make the world believe the exact truth.' "'I will never condemn you,' she said. Then she came over and threw herself on her knees at his feet and embraced him. "'But, Papa, what did the man say of me?' "'Not what he believed, but what he thought would give me the greatest anguish. "'Never mind. Do not ask any more questions. "'You also had better write to your husband, "'and you can tell him fully all that I have told you. "'If you will write to-night, I will do so also, "'and I will take care that they shall have our letters to-morrow afternoon. "'We must send a message to say that we shall not be at the deanery to-morrow.' The two letters to Lord George were both written that night, and were both very long. They told the same story, though in a different tone. The dean was by no means apologetic, but was very full and very true. When he came to the odious word, he could not write it, but he made it very clear without writing. Would not the husband feel, as he the father had felt, in regard to his young wife, the sweet pure girl of whose love and possession he ought to be so proud? How would any brother be forgiven who had assailed such a treasure as this? Much less such a brother as this Marquis. Perhaps Lord George might think it right to come up. The dean would, of course, ask at the hotel on the following day, and would go to the police office. He believed, he said, that no permanent injury had been done. Then came, perhaps, the pith of his letter. He trusted that Lord George would agree with him in thinking that Mary had better remain with him in town during the two or three days of his necessarily prolonged sojourn. This was put in the form of a request, but was put in a manner intended to show that the request, if not granted, would be enforced. The dean was fully determined that Mary should not at once go down to Cross Hall. Her letter was supplicatory, spasmodic, full of sorrow, and full of love. 
she was quite sure that her dear papa would have done nothing that he ought not to have done but yet she was very sorry for the marquis because of his mother and sisters and because of her dear dear george could he not run up to them and hear all about it from papa if the marquis had said ill-natured things of her it was very cruel because nobody loved her husband better than she loved her dear dear george and so on the letters were then sent under cover to the housekeeper at the deanery with orders to send them on by private messenger to cross hall on the following day the dean went to scumberg's but could not learn much there the marquis had been very bad and had had one and another doctor with him almost continually but mrs walker could not take upon herself to say that it was dangerous she thought it was entered mrs walker's always do think that it is entered when there is nothing palpable outward at any rate his lordship had not been out of bed and had taken nothing but tapioca and brandy there was very little more than this to be learned at the police court the case might be serious but the superintendent hoped otherwise the superintendent did not think that the dean should go down quite to-morrow the morrow was friday but he suggested saturday as possible monday is almost certain it may be as well to say here that the dean did not call at the police court again and heard nothing further from the officers of the law respecting the occurrence at scumberg's on the friday he called again at scumberg's and the marquis was still in bed his innards had not ceased to be matter of anxiety to mrs walker but the surgeon whom the dean now saw declared that the muscles of the nobleman's back were more deserving of sympathy the surgeon with a gravity that almost indicated offence expressed his opinion that the marquis's back had received an injury which which might be very injurious lord george when he received the letters was thrown into a state of mind that almost distracted him during the last week or two the animosity felt at cross hall against the marquis had been greatly weakened a feeling had come upon the family that after all popenjoy was popenjoy and that although the natal circumstances of such a popenjoy were doubtless unfortunate for the family generally still as an injury had been done to the marquis by the suspicion those circumstances ought now to be in a measure forgiven the marquis was the head of the family and a family will forgive much to his head when that head is a marquis as we know the dowager had been in his favour from the first lord george had lately given way and had undergone a certain amount of reconciliation with his brother lady amelia had seceded to her mother as had also mrs toff the old housekeeper lady susanna was wavering having had her mind biased by the objectionable conduct of the dean and his daughter lady sarah was more staunch lady sarah had never yet given way she never did give way and in her very heart she was the best friend that mary had among the ladies of the family but when her brother gave up the contest she felt that further immediate action was impossible things were in this state at cross hall when lord george received the two letters he did not wish to think well of the dean just at present and was horrified at the idea of a clergyman knocking a marquis into the fireplace but the word indicated was very plain and that word had been applied to his own wife or perhaps no such word had really been used perhaps the dean had craftily saved himself from an absolute lie and in his attempt to defend the violence of his conduct had brought an accusation against the marquis which 
was in its essence untrue. Lord George was quite alive to the duty of defending his wife, but in doing so he was no longer anxious to maintain affectionate terms with his wife's father. She had been very foolish. All the world had admitted as much. He had seen it with his own eyes at that wretched ball. She had suffered her name to be joined with that of a stranger in a manner derogatory to her husband's honour. It was hardly surprising that his brother should have spoken of her conduct in disparaging terms, but he did not believe that his brother had used that special term. Personal violence, blows and struggling, and that on the part of a dean of the Church of England, and violence such as this seemed to have been, violence that might have killed the man attacked, seemed to him to be in any case unpardonable. He certainly could not live on terms of friendship with the dean immediately after such a deed. His wife must be taken away and secluded, and purified by a long course of germane asceticism. But what must he do now at once? He felt that it was his duty to hurry up to London, but he could not bring himself to live in the same house with the dean. His wife must be taken away from her father, however bad may have been the language used by the marquis, however indefensible. He could not allow himself even to seem to keep up affectionate relations with the man who had half-slaughtered his brother. He, too, thought of what the world would say. He, too, felt that such an affair, after having become known to the police, would be soon known to everyone else. But what must he do at once? He had not as yet made up his mind as to this when he took his place at the Brotherton railway station on the morning after he had received the letters. But on reaching the station at London he had so far made up his mind as to have his portmanteau taken to the hotel close at hand, and then to go to Munster Court. He had hoped to find his wife alone, but on his arrival the dean was there also. "'Oh, George,' she said, "'I am so glad you have come. Where are your things?' He explained that he had no things, that he had come up only for a short time, and had left his luggage at the station. "'But you will stay here to-night?' asked Mary in despair. Lord George hesitated, and the dean at once saw how it was. "'You will not go back to Brotherton to-day,' he said. Now at this moment the dean had to settle in his mind the great question whether it would be best for his girl that she should be separated from her husband or from her father. In giving him his due it must be acknowledged that he considered only what might in truth be best for her. If she were now taken away from him there would be no prospect of recovery.' After all that had passed, after Lord George's submission to his brother, the dean was sure that he would be held in abhorrence by the whole Germain family. Mary would be secluded and trodden on, and reduced to pale submission by all the dragons till her life would be miserable. Lord George himself would be prone enough to domineer in such circumstances. And then that ill word which had been spoken, and which could only be effectually burned out of the thoughts of people by affront to the world, at the same time innocent and bold, would stick to her for ever if she were carried away into obscurity. But the dean knew as well as others know how great is the evil of a separation, and how specially detrimental such a step would be to a young wife. Than a permanent separation, anything would be better, better even that she should be secluded and maligned, and even for a while trodden underfoot. Were such separation to take place, his girl would have been altogether sacrificed, and her life's happiness brought to shipwreck. But then a permanent separation was not probable. She had done nothing wrong. The husband and wife did in truth love each other dearly. The Marquis would be soon gone. 
and then Lord George would return to his old habits of thought and his old allegiance. Upon the whole, the dean thought it best that his present influence should be used in taking his daughter to the deanery. "'I should like to return quite early to-morrow,' said Lord George, very gravely, "'unless my brother's condition should make it impossible.' "'I trust you won't find your brother much the worse for what has happened,' said the dean. "'But you will sleep here to-night?' repeated Mary. "'I will come for you the first thing in the morning,' said Lord George, in the same funereal voice. "'But why, why? "'I shall probably have to be a good deal with my brother during the afternoon, "'but I will be here again in the afternoon. "'You can be at home at five, and you can get your things ready for going to-morrow. "'Won't you dine here?' "'I think not.' "'Then there was silence for a minute. "'Mary was completely astounded. "'Lord George wished to say nothing further in the presence of his father-in-law. "'The dean was thinking how he would begin to use his influence.' "'I trust you will not take Mary away to-morrow.' "'Oh, certainly.' "'I trust not. "'I must ask you to hear me say a few words about this.' "'I must insist on her coming with me to-morrow, "'even though I should have to return to London myself afterwards.' "'Mary,' said her father, "'leave us for a moment.' "'Then Mary retired with a very saddened air. "'Do you understand, George, what it was that your brother said to me?' "'I suppose so,' he answered hoarsely. "'Then no doubt I may take it for granted that you approve of the violence of my resentment. "'To me as a clergyman, and as a man past middle life, the position was very trying. "'But had I been an archbishop tottering on the grave with years, I must have endeavoured to do the same.' "'This he said with great energy. "'Tell me, George, that you think that I was right.' "'But George had not heard the word, and not seen the man's face.' and then, though he would have gone to a desert island with his wife had such exile been necessary for her protection, he did believe that she had misconducted herself. Had he not seen her whirling around the room with that man after she had been warned against him? "'It cannot be right to murder a man,' he said at last. "'You do not thank me, then, for vindicating your honour and your wife's innocence?' "'I do not think that that was the way. The way is to take her home.' "'Yes, to her old home.' to the deanery for a while, so that the world, which will no doubt hear the malignant epithet applied to her by your wicked brother, may know that both her husband and her father support her. You had promised to come to the deanery. We cannot do that now. Do you mean that after what has passed you will take your brother's part? I will take my wife to Cross Hall, he said, leaving the room and following Mary up to her chamber. "'What am I to do, Papa?' she said, when she came down about half an hour afterwards. Lord George had then started to Scumberg, saying that he would come to Munster Court again before dinner, but telling her plainly that he would not sit down to dine with her father. "'He has determined to quarrel with you.' "'It will only be for a time, dearest.' "'But what shall I do?' Now came the peril of the answer. He was sure, almost sure, that she would in this emergency rely rather upon him than on her husband, if he were firm. But should he be firm as against the husband, how great would be his responsibility! "'I think, my dear,' he said at last, "'that you should go with me to Brotherton.' "'But he will not let me. I think that you should insist on his promise.' "'Don't make us quarrel, papa.' "'Certainly not. Anything would be better than a permanent quarrel.' But after what has been said, after the foul lies that have been told, I think that you should assert your purpose of staying for a while with your father. 
Were you now to go to Cross Hall, there would be no limit to their tyranny. He left her without a word more, and calling at Scumberg's hotel, was told that the Marquis could not move. At that moment Lord George was with his brother, and the Marquis could talk, though he could not move. "'A precious family you've married into, George,' he said, almost as soon as his brother was in the room. Then he gave his own version of the affair, leaving his brother in doubt as to the exact language that had been used. "'He ought to have been a coal-heaver instead of a clergyman,' said the Marquis. "'Of course he would be angry,' said Lord George. "'Nothing astonishes me so much,' said the Marquis, "'as the way in which you fellows here think you may say "'whatever comes into your head about my wife, "'because she is an Italian, "'and you seem to be quite surprised if I object. "'Yet you rage like wild beasts if the compliment is returned. "'Why am I to think better of your wife than you of mine?' "'I have said nothing against your wife, Brotherton.' "'By blank. I think you have said a great deal, and with much less reason than I have. What did you do yourself when you found her struggling in that fellow's arms at the old woman's party? Some good-natured friend had told the Marquis the whole story of the Kappa Kappa. You can't be deaf to what all the world is saying of her. This was wormwood to the wretched husband, and yet he could not answer with angry, self-reliant indignation, while his brother was lying almost motionless before him. Lord George found that he could do nothing at Scumberg's hotel. He was assured that his brother was not in danger, and that the chief injury done was to the muscles of his back, which, bruised and lacerated as they were, would gradually recover such elasticity as they had ever possessed. But other words were said, and other hints expressed, all of which tended to increase his animosity against the dean, and almost to engender anger against his wife. To himself personally, except in regard to his wife, his brother had not been ungracious. The Marquis intended to return to Italy as soon as he could. He hated England and everything in it. Manor Cross would very soon be at Lord George's disposal. Though I do hope, said the Marquis, that the lady who has condescended to make me her brother-in-law will never reign paramount there. By degrees there crept on Lord George's mind a feeling that his brother looked to a permanent separation, something like a repudiation. Over and over again he spoke of Mary as though she had disgraced herself utterly, and when Lord George defended his wife, the Lord only smiled and sneered. The effect upon Lord George was to make him very imperious as he walked back to Munster Court. He could not repudiate his wife, but he would take her away with a very high hand. Crossing the green park at the back of Arlington Street, whom should he meet but Mrs. Houghton, with her cousin Jack? He raised his hat, but could not stop a moment. Mrs. Houghton made an attempt to arrest him, but he escaped without a word and went on very quickly. His wife had behaved generously about Mrs. Houghton. The sight of the woman brought that truth to his mind. He was aware of that. But no generosity on the part of the wife, no love, no temper, no virtue, no piety, can be accepted by Caesar as weighing a grain in counterpoise against even suspicion. He found his wife and asked her whether her things were being packed. "'I cannot go to-morrow,' she said. "'Not go?' "'No, George, not to Cross Hall. I will go to the deanery. You promised to go to the deanery.' "'I will not go to the deanery. I will go to Cross Hall.' There was an hour of it, but during the entire hour the young wife persisted obstinately that she would not be taken to Cross Hall. She had, she said, been very badly treated by her husband's family. 
"'Not by me,' shouted the husband. She went on to say that nothing could now really put her right with the joint love of her father and her husband. Were she at Cross Hall, her father could do nothing for her. She would not go to Cross Hall. Nothing short of policemen should take her to Cross Hall to-morrow. End of chapter 42